Ever wonder how someone can go from this? Knowing I got clipped because I was so afraid to, to fight, because that's all it was. He clipped me because I was afraid to fight. To this. Oh man, now if I kill someone in the ring, I'd fucking make me very happy. And you have to ask yourself, why? There were only three years between those two clips. Why the big change? Was it a desire to move up in the card and promote himself like the Colbys and the Chales have with Trash Talk? Or could it have even had something to do with a life-threatening motorcycle accident that coincidentally or not happened to occur not long after that first clip and left him sidelined for two years? And coming from a tumultuous upbringing that led to his self-admitted degenerate lifestyle, Sean Strickland has definitely had an interesting life, if to say his MMA career wasn't already interesting enough. I'm Jason from MMA on Point, and today I'm breaking down the most interesting facts about Sean Strickland. Let's go ahead and start with his childhood. Alright, so yeah, if you've seen these interesting facts videos before, you know it tends to be a bit of a chronological view of everything, and... Man, starting with Strickland's childhood and some of the things he said, this literally feels like I'm digging into the Joker's backstory or something. And to be frank, I'm not even sure how far we could get into this subject matter on YouTube, but basically his childhood was terrible from the jump. I always joked, I always said, like, I had a teacher tell me in like seventh, eighth grade. She looked at me, she said, Sean, you're the reason why they build prisons. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. And essentially, all of this can be attributed primarily to one man's actions, his father. Like when I was a kid, dude, he was like the monster, dude. He was like the fucking boogeyman. And I remember there was one time, dude, my brother fucking strapped, like we're talking elementary school, strapped a knife to his leg to go stab him. I used to sleep in my mom's bed a lot, right? Because I, like, I thought my dad was going to fucking kill my mom. So every night, dude, I would like, I would go to bed thinking like, oh shit, my mom's going to die tonight, you know? He sadly would endure these circumstances all throughout his childhood and things would then come to a head when he actually attacked his father after hiding under his parents' bed. And yeah, it's a lot worse than it sounds. I went to go sleep in my mom's room. My dad's like, fuck that, they're having a bad fight. And so I like crawl under the bed, I crawl under the bed. It's got like, like fleas everywhere. So my dad gets on top of my mom and he starts fucking like strangling her, right? And he's like, I'm gonna fucking kill you tonight. So maybe a little kid, I get up and like, fuck, the only thing I see is the guitar. My sister's guitar, she's still mad at me about it. I grabbed the guitar, just fucking smack it off his head, grab the phone, and call the cops, run down the hill. Oh my god. My mom bails him out of jail. <laughs> yeah. Like how do you you know, how do you fix that generation of fuck? This would carry on all throughout his childhood and deep into his teen years, where he and his brother had essentially become able to physically fend for themselves. The first time I hit my dad, I was like 17, I headbutted and broke his nose, and he just fell down crying. I was like so disappointed. Wow. You're, you're the biggest fucking coward, you know? Yeah, so that's definitely a dark place to start this list, but sure enough, there's a lot more where that came from. And so that leads us to talk about, well, some of his dark beliefs. Regrettably, Sean's problems were not just with his father. While he maintained a great relationship with his mother, there was another influence in his life that led him down a pretty terrible path. My grandfather was like this big, big piece of shit, you know, like six, seven, like, you know, kind of like a Southern guy. He just kind of like filled your head with crazy shit. I actually got kicked out of, uh, uh, ninth grade, I just said something really fucked up to some Jewish kid. When you're racist, like you don't get ahead in life. So I, I resented him a big majority of my life. 
for, you know, filling my head with that. And as you can imagine, these beliefs grew and they led into him going actually out into the real world and carrying out some pretty awful things. Seventh grade, I, I took a permanent mark and I drew a swastika on my arm. You're saying American Industry X? Yes. That's who I wanted to be with one of those guys. Like, there would be white trash and respect, you know? Yeah, like I said, this is some pretty dark subject matter. Thankfully, the man had started to realize the truth just by simply spending time with people he thought he hated. And I started training, and, like, the moment I started training, like, I was like, fuck, man. Like, I just, like, I don't hate anybody. Like, I don't fuck everyone's cool. A lot of people who helped me out in my life, they weren't white. Like, usually, like, white people in my life were kind of fucking dicks. Like, a lot of, like, ethnic people were the ones that kind of held their hand out. I'm a little fucking neo it's pretty insane and scary to think what kind of ideas people can come up with and develop when they simply avoid each other and don't interact with others. But there was also another huge factor in changing his life for the better as well. So when I was younger, I don't know, dude, I just, I fantasize on violence. Like, I wanted to fucking kill somebody. Mm -hmm. I wanted to fucking stab somebody. I remember the first time in my life that I ever felt happiness. 14 years old, you know, I was just a fucking fuck up loser, man. And my mom brought me to an MMA gym and I got the shit kicked out of me. I was so happy. I remember walking out like, wow, this is what it feels like to be happy. Like, I've never fucking felt this, you know? You got it all out of your body. And that certainly wasn't the end of his troublemaking days. It helped him with some of his, I suppose, intrusive thoughts, if you can even call it that. But his biggest run-ins with the law were still ahead of him, which came in the form of troublemaking. So, as I mentioned before, Sean definitely got into his fair share of trouble all throughout growing up, including being kicked out of school pretty much everywhere he went, which meant resorting to homeschooling since nobody else would even take the guy in. And as we mentioned earlier, that teacher had basically told him he was the reason prisons were built. Well, as it turns out, he might have fulfilled that in some small way because he had plenty of run-ins with the law. For one, when his MMA career started as his official record has it, well, that was just his pro career. But in reality, he was fighting unofficially on the smoker circuit for years. And for those who don't know what smokers are, they're basically illegal fights that are totally unsanctioned. They're just illegally promoting them. Pretty much what you would do is you would just show up, they'd put chairs in, they'd buy tickets, and random people would just show up and you'd fight. It's like, you would show up and be like, well, if you're... If you're training here, you're fighting here. Go sell tickets. That coach, by the way, was Paul Herrera. You might not remember him for anything else but one thing, being crucifixed, elbowed by Gary Goodridge at UFC 8. But of course, it didn't stop there. He got into plenty of scuffles on the street with or without promoters. Yeah, no, fuck, man. I got arrested when I was, uh, like, 18. So I go to Arm Recruiter. I'm like, hey, man, you guys are supposed to be easy to get into. I don't have a high school diploma how do i join you guys <laughs> the night i go to a party and then that little voice in my head and i fucking hurt two people i had to go get surgery facing two felony gbis i had to pay my lawyer I had to pay my bail mint bail bondsman have you ever been to jail like for an extended period of time no i was like when i got arrested i was on like a day and a half okay and it wasn't like belt sucks like i mean just your life's on hold when you're in jail your life's paused so yeah from nearly being a part of our armed forces to ending up in jail for a day. But that's what led to his MMA career. Or I guess I should say his legit MMA career. But yeah, it was because of this stint in jail and the army rejecting him as a result that a different career path suddenly became much more appealing. King of the Cage uh, hit me up and they're like, hey, we have a fight in South Africa in like two weeks, you wanna go? And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm about to go back to jail right now. I need money, fuck yes, I have to pay my bail bondsman. To be fair, this was actually his 
six pro fight, but this was when he knew MMA was going to be his actual career, his real job. Before then, it was more just the thing he did and enjoyed. Maybe he had some aspirations, but he was about to join the army. Now he was really going to go after this and make it his life goal. And what happened from here on out was pretty impressive. Back then, he was way more of a grappler, but he started to incorporate striking a lot more heavily. After capturing the King of the Cage middleweight belt just a little over a year later, you started seeing this progression more and more until he fought the Ultimate Fighter veteran, Josh Bryant, who actually made it pretty far on the show, making it all the way to the semifinals of Tough 11. So it was a big test for him, but Sean decided a bit of a strange strategy. He would only use stand-up the entire fight. And it nearly cost him the belt because Bryant still used his ground game and managed to control large portions of the first and third. Lucky for Sean though, he still got the split decision. And with a former tough contestant now under his belt, he began to start building a real name for himself with plenty of exciting finishes, totaling out five title defenses for his middleweight title. Only three decisions in his entire career to that point, which was 13 and 0. All of this was done by the age of 23. So yeah, something big was definitely on the horizon, and that was the UFC. Before the Contender Series came along, and it seems like they're now putting everyone through that show to even get a shot in the UFC in the first place, the other tried and true method was just commonly getting a call on short notice. And don't get me wrong, that still happens to plenty of Contender Series guys like Kevin Holland, it happened to him as well. But for Strickland, it came on a big card in Dallas for UFC 171 with Lawler versus Hendricks 1 as the headliner. This time against another tough vet in Bubba McDaniels when his opponent pulled out last minute. I think I took a two week notice, a week notice on my first UFC fight. And that's why if you're not in the UFC, you gotta stay ready. You gotta build, make way, you gotta stay fucking ready. And talk about a great showing. He got the RNC by the end of the first round. Man, it, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Uh, I honestly think I'm one of the I'm one of the better strikers in the game and and no one really seen it yet, but one of these days man, I'm gonna put it together and you're gonna be you're gonna remember that. <laughs> But it wasn't exactly smooth sailing going forward. Strickland narrowly won a split decision over the impossibly large Luke Barnett towering at 6'6", when he realized maybe he was a bit outsized at middleweight and decided to make the drop down to 170. Unlucky for him though, this move didn't go his way as he immediately would lose his next fight to Santiago Ponzinibbio for his 170 pound debut. That's a rough one. But he would manage to get a decent string of wins that was until having some of the worst fortune imaginable by catching Kamaru Usman on the come up and lose on all the judges scorecards. I mean, I guess it's a better fate than almost getting KO'd, which almost did happen in the fight. And from here, he'd trade wins and losses before a life-altering event would impact the rest of his life, the accident. In December of 2018, Sean Strickland was finishing out a training session at King's MMA in Anaheim, California. And on the way home, he hopped on his motorcycle and before he knew it, he was waking up in the hospital with no recollection of what happened. When he awoke, he was immediately told by the doctors that he was on his way into surgery after being unconscious for a total of three hours. Turns out, while going about 45 miles an hour down the road, a van just abruptly pulled out in front of him because they didn't even notice his motorcycle causing him to clash with the vehicle and his leg was essentially ripped apart. I'm still missing my quadricep. I fucking, I left part of my kneecap on the road and like I would not take pills just because I watched it my whole life growing up. I was like, fuck that, I'm just gonna be in pain. What's wrong days. with your quadricep? You don't have a quad? Yeah, no, if you, there's a little indent right there. See how it like dips oh, in? Oh, whoa. 
toe. While he would shortly after surgery post a photo inside the hospital and assure everyone he was coming back, privately he was feeling a lot differently about this. I started crying, not not crying because like, I wasn't crying because of pain or anything, I couldn't feel anything. I was crying because when you're, you're hearing a surgeon saying, hey, you're in a motorcycle accident, I just seen like my, my dreams just drift away. That was one of the hardest things. And this all inevitably leads us to his return. So up until this point, I haven't really mentioned much apart from the intro, just how much his personality has radically changed between that first UFC stint and after the accident. So again, here's that clip from earlier. When I fight, I, I, I put so many obstacles in front of myself being afraid of losing and then I, it holds me back. And the reason I point that out is that's the last fight before the accident just two months before it happened. You might just think this is somebody who is newer to the UFC and didn't want to ruffle any feathers, didn't want to be that guy. Maybe he was just finding his audience, who knows? But when he was on top with King of the Cage, the big dog in the small pond, it was the same there as well. Guys, I just want to thank um, King of the Cage. It was a great casino, great venue. Thanks to the Oklahoma fans. Like I said, Josh Bryant, he's a great fighter. And, um, I was pleased for him to fight me. Congrats, Josh Bryant. You know, thanks for bringing me in deep water like that. I needed it. The man. Mind you, Josh Bryant talked a fair amount of trash going into that contest. He had every reason to say something back. But now contrast all that with this. You see the way these people act in the crowd? Especially that guy clamping right there. That fucking guy's like, yeah, how about you drive a big lifted truck? Your dick's about this big. Let's go. If you want to taste grace, greatness, this is the time to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm probably on an FBI watch list, all right? Calm the fuck down. And this was immediate. It started the moment he returned in that Jack Marshman fight, literally during the fight. It does make you wonder how much that accident had to do with the change from an injury perspective, which I don't think should be totally thrown out. But to be fair, I think he's outright told us why he's changed so much. Now, if you want to make money, you want to be famous, you got to be an outlandish, out I mean, look at me for instance, you got to be an outlandish, you got to walk around with a shirt off. That if I want to be famous, I don't go and have an intelligent conversation. I act like a fucking idiot. To me, it sounds like he had a few epiphanies while on the shelf over those two years. And since then, he's had some big moments, including the Pereira fight. Okay, so at some point, we have to discuss this fight. Just when it seemed like he was perfectly primed for a title shot and had the trash talk to hype it up, one of the best strikers in combat sports history was in the midst of their ascent. Over Whoa. and out! That's the power. If you somehow don't know by now, Alex Pereira came from the same world as Israel Adesanya, was a double champ, beat Izzy twice, including a devastating KO that would eventually translate into their first UFC title fight. And man, yeah, talk about bad timing for Sean. And the trash talk going into it probably didn't help much because he faced a large amount of ridicule as a result. He's got this, this guard. I call it the cocksucker guard so people don't do it because it's not defending anything. But Strickland knew what he was in for and has talked about the loss candidly ever since. Right before I go a fight, I tell my, my coach, I'm like, I'm gonna like two and a half minutes in, I'm gonna fill this motherfucker out and then I'm gonna shoot on him. Two and a half minutes in, I get caught. So, you know, he's a bad motherfucker. Yeah. I got clipped, this is what it is. Yep. On to the next. 
And for a second there, we even saw a bit of that old Sean in there with the humility and less of a brash side that we are now used to. Alright guys, to close this one out, I think it's worth noting that while people may like or dislike Sean, there are very clearly compelling aspects of his life that I just wanted to know more about as a fan, and knew many of you probably would as well, so I'm definitely not endorsing anything about him, and I'm definitely not bashing anything about him either, I don't really feel that that's my role, it's just an MMA YouTube channel. I find him to be a fascinating person who's made a huge splash in the sport as of late, and I hope you all gotten something out of the video by watching it. And speaking of the video, you gotta give a shout out to Max Randall. He's our longest time editor on the channel. The guy puts in an incredible amount of work into these edits. Definitely show him some love on Twitter or X or whatever the fuck it's called at Max underscore Randall. He's a legend. And I also want to give a huge shout out to the MVPs behind this channel that support us with the channel champs and Hall of Famers. These people help us craft new ideas in our live writers meetings that we host for our members and they get exclusive behind the scenes views into our discussion videos and a ton of other things as well. So definitely consider supporting us by clicking the join button below if that sounds like something you are interested in doing or just want to support the channel. By all means, no pressure to do so. Anyhow, let me know what you guys think about Sean Strickland in the comments below and if there are other interesting facts that you learned about him that we didn't discuss. There's definitely a lot to talk about with Sean, so I'm sure you'll have many. Anyhow, that's it for me guys. Hit that like button, subscribe, and I'll catch you guys on the next video. Peace.